You're listening to P.F.'s Tape Recorder. This is the biggest name in comedy, Kostaki Economopolis. Hello there, I'm P.F. This is my tape recorder. Coming up, Tom Arnold ain't mad at you. When people criticize somebody and say, well, there was this huge star, so they're not, you know, talented, I think they're also criticizing the, the star. We hear more from Tom Arnold in just a bit. It was a great chat we had with him. Also, fast food workers protest for higher wages. The fast food industry reacts. But first, as always, fake news. And now, fake news with me. Aiming to educate diners about a woman's right to breastfeed in public, a group of about 20 women staged a nurse-in Wednesday at a Chick-fil-A in Knoxville, Tennessee. That's where earlier in the week an employee had asked a mother nursing her five-month-old daughter to quit it. The moms capped off the protest by making out the restaurant dining room. Billionaire U.S. media mogul Oprah Winfrey says she was the victim of racism on a recent trip to Switzerland when a shop assistant refused to show her a handbag because it was, quote, too expensive. I go into the store and say to the woman, excuse me, may I see the bag over your head, Oprah Winfrey told Entertainment Tonight. And she says to me, no, it's too expensive. The bag was valued at $38,000 or roughly the amount of money that the talk show host has in her sofa cushions at any given moment. A photo of a police officer in Camden, New Jersey, apparently asleep in his cruiser, has prompted an investigation in the U.S. city with the nation's highest violent crime rate in 2012. The photo, which shows the uniformed officer wearing sunglasses, head cocked back, and mouth agape in the driver's seat, began circulating on a Camden-related Facebook page earlier this week. The officer was supposed to be out getting donuts for the rest of the precinct. And when, when you got nothing else, you just go with the cop and donut thing. I'm, I'm, I'm terribly sorry. Only months after archaeologists discovered the missing body of Richard III, researchers are about to test human remains to see if they are those of another king, Alfred the Great, a 9th century monarch. The find has given hopes to American researchers who are still trying to find Waldo. Pope Francis on Thursday strengthened the monitoring of the Vatican Bank to prevent money laundering and the financing of terrorism as part of his campaign to clean up after decades of scandal. The measure will also ensure that totally free checking at the Vatican Bank is in fact free. Customer pays for checks. Voter 65 and older used to be reliably a Democratic constituency. Then in 2010 and 2012, they flocked to the GOP. Now there's something going on with seniors, says Erica Seifert at the National Memo. In a series of polls since mid-2011, when Representative Paul Ryan's Medicare plan became widely known and despised among those at or nearing retirement, seniors started drifting back out of the Republican fold, and it is now strikingly clear that they have turned sharply against the GOP. So putting budget reductions on the backs of seniors wasn't a winning strategy. Strategy. Wow. And more than a thousand conservative lawmakers and business executives are gathering this week for a conference that could shape a new wave of Republican legislation in state capitals pushing for deeper tax cuts, limits on union powers, and private sector makeovers for government Medicaid programs. Seminars will also focus on how to make the most outrageous comments about rape, how to present bigotry as free speech, and how to make it look like you're the one being persecuted. And that's been Fake News with me. There was a story I wanted to cover last week, but uh, we didn't have time because uh, we were getting ready to go up to the big uh, Lollapalooza rock festival there in Chicago. But uh, this story caught my ear and eye, and uh, I believe it's still relevant. They walked off the job in New York. 
In St. Louis, they told McDonald's what it could do with its fare. Fast food employees and their supporters say their wages, averaging less than $9 an hour, are too small to live on. So what they want to do in some cases is raise that minimum up to $15 an hour, anywhere between $9 and $15 an hour, I guess, depending on the market. Now, you're probably saying, now, wait a second, P.F., uh, I got into my local fast food joint. Uh, if, if those bastards can put together a hamburger to save their life, uh, I'm extremely lucky. Yeah, I get that, as our friend Jim Rome would say. I get that. I totally get that. I just don't buy it. Here's why. I've worked in the retail industry and sort of the restaurant industry, and here's the thing. Anyone who's worked in it or been a manager in it or anything can attest to this fact. There are some people that just get over and probably even shouldn't be making minimum wage, and, and I'm right with you there. A lot of people, though, that come in and take it seriously, and they work hard, and they show up every day, and they do their job, but they're not compensated for it. And here's always been the conundrum is you don't want to legislate that. You can't. There should be a minimum wage. There has to be. It, but it's a shame you have to go to people and say, well, you actually have to pay people now a living. You have to pay people decently. You shouldn't have to tell people that. You should just do it. There should be a way for companies, and a lot of companies don't do this. There's a very narrow band for making more money in a company. Even if you do the greatest job, you get like a 2-3% raise, and that's it. And even the, the schmuck that you work with doesn't do anything, maybe doesn't get a raise, but you're still not making that much more money, even though you're doing way more work. Okay, so what's the big sticking point? It could also drive up prices. This Big Mac cost me $3.99 before taxes. Okay, I can understand that. So if you raise people's wages that much, that Big Mac's going to cost like, what, 10 bucks? Uh, what, what's the actual figure? According to one study, the cost of a Big Mac would go up about 68 cents. Oh my God! <laughs> Sorry, I just fell out of my chair. And a Big Mac meal could jump almost a dollar. Okay, yeah, yeah, I get it. So you mean if I pay an extra dollar for my Big Mac meal, somebody can afford to have health care and take care of their family. Okay, that, that, that'd be awful. Oh, wait, there's more? In D.C., a proposal requiring higher wages at big box retailers has Walmart saying it'll cancel construction on three of its six new stores. Okay, how does Walmart and companies like it not get this? If you don't build the stores and hire those people, who's going to buy the crap? Have you been in your stores? Have you seen who's shopping in them? It's low-wage workers. How do you not get this? More employers could turn to automation instead of hiring. Okay, two problems with that idea is that if they could have done it, they would have done it by now because that is the big dream, not having to pay anybody anything like a robot. But what I really think they're afraid of is that their mechanical underlings will somehow become their mechanical overlord someday. They could do what the Chili's restaurant chain is doing and cut out an entire segment of the workforce. In recent years, Chili's started to eliminate the busboy position, instead having servers do the busing. Hey, why stop there? I mean, you can't outsource fast food work, but you can do the next best thing. Hello, welcome to McDonald's. May I take your order? Uh, yes, I'll have a uh, Big Mac meal, please. Okay, that'll be five forty-nine with tax. Okay, now if that were even like not even a dollar more, I wouldn't pay that. I'd walk right out of here. Here's your hat, here's your uniform. Now get back there and make your burger. It is really hot back here, man. Hurry, your fries are almost up. Hey everybody, don't forget to check out our friends over at Ross Rants. It's RossRants.com. It's a funny website, funny news, kind of like the fake news we do, only in print form. He's got some funny stories this week about Simon Cowell, Vladimir Putin, which is hilarious, I won't spoil it for you, the royal baby, and uh, CNN. He takes a poke at them as well. So do check out Ross Rants at RossRants.com. Check it out.
Tom Arnold is a stand-up comedian, actor, writer, and producer, best known for his work in the movies True Lies, Happy Endings, the TV series Roseanne, The Best Damn Sports Show Period on the Fox Sports Network, and many, many other movies and TV programs. He was kind enough to chat with us for a few minutes about his upcoming appearance at the Cincinnati Brouhaha Comedy Festival, where he'll headline on Friday night, August 23rd at 9 p.m. Here's our interview with Tom Arnold. Uh, okay, so uh, how did you get involved in uh, uh, being signed up for Brouhaha? Um, I guess this way er- anybody gets involved, they call your agent <laughs> and ask if you if you want to do it. And uh, I, and I wanted to go on the road in August and do shows, and I I love Cincinnati, so I thought, well, this will be fine. This will be a, a fun thing. It's uh, uh, and so you so I said, let's do it, and uh, uh, it seems like a uh, a great thing. There's a lot of food and beer and, and people. It's and, a lot of fun. Uh, hopefully it's a great thing. I also am concerned because, not concerned, but it's outdoors, so it's, I assume it's like family, uh, there'll be families there, right? Well, no, it's, uh, it's, I think it's um, 18 and over because um, oh. I, oh, good. I, I performed last year and uh, my kids couldn't come and my wife didn't want to come. <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah, that that's, he doesn't, doesn't. Well, that's good news. Well, I, you just answered a question I would have had. Yeah, I uh, know it, it, it. I'm sure it'll be fine. How is it? Is it fine? It's a lot of fun. In fact, the area that uh, it's in, it's a park on the river here in Cincinnati. So it's just a gorgeous oh, view of the river and downtown. And uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Oh, great! Well, I'm looking forward to it. Um, well, let me uh, uh, continue here with with a confession. Uh, back in the 90s, I was among the, the detractors. I, I foolishly believed that because you were involved with somebody that was talented and successful, that somehow you couldn't be talented and successful. And, uh, of course, I got turned around on that notion pretty quickly. Um, well, I mean, a lot of people thought that. And, and, and I don't play, I don't, first of all, I don't care. But second <laughs> of all, I could see how people would think that because if you look at the track record of people who are with people who are talented and successful in Hollywood, it wasn't that good. You don't. You don't. Yeah. Necessarily hear, especially when there's a divorce. You don't necessarily hear from those folks again. And uh, so I, I, you know, I could understand. Uh, you know, I, I also feel like when we, when we, you know, when people criticize somebody and say, "Well, they're with this huge star, so they're not," you know, talented. I think they're also criticizing the the star because they're saying. This person has no judgment in the people they pick or the people they work with. And uh, a lot of times people say, well, I'm defending that star. I'm letting her know that she deserves to be with a more talented or better uh, looking or better whatever. And, and what they're really doing is criticizing both of them. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, I just, I, I'm, I try personally to be very careful about that. But, you know, because I've been down that road and... and uh, you know, it's a, it's hard, especially when the woman is the star. I think a lot of people, and especially when I consider this was 25 years ago, in 20 years ago, and, you know, at that time, you know, things have changed uh, some, but, you know, you see a, a woman that's a big star, and you think, oh, my gosh, this guy, is he's a hanger-on, he's <laughs> whatever, and, he, you know, and, and so, you know, I've been lucky because I've had opportunities to prove, uh, not to, you know, to keep, keep doing what I what I started off to do and prove myself so i have no i have no problems with that well uh apart from true lies of course which i think turned a lot of people around something that uh, turned me around years later even was uh you were on david feldman's podcast 
and went through he uh, kind of got it out of you a story that I don't think is widely known is that when you showed up at the Roseanne show that you kind of eventually became kind of like the Bill Belichick of that operation and were kind of picking the talent brought in guys like Norm Macdonald and Feldman and people like that and, and really had an influence on that that I don't think is really widely known well yeah you know what my, my dream uh, you know in 1988 I came out to uh, when the show started to write on the show and literally the pilot I was the audience warm-up guy you know which was, I was so bad at because it's, <laughs> it's actually a kind of a hard job because yeah, yeah. you really focus on the audience and you can't be talking to your friends who are shooting the show and then I was you know started as a staff writer like everybody and but I quickly moved up and, and I did you know I, I always made a deal with whoever the other executive producer that I, I would bring in I would say you know uh, I know you know a lot of guys that have been around this business for a while and uh, and that's great and 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 uh, you know bring me their scripts and we'll, we'll hire them if you believe in them but I want half the guys to be my guys that are new guys that have never written for TV before because I know they're funny I know they could do it I could tell by their stand-up I could tell by what, the other stuff and and so we'll have this staff that'll be you know, ten guys one way, ten guys another way, and and I think it, it's what made the show really good. So there was probably maybe thirty or thirty different uh, men and women that I that that I liked that, that I knew that were comics that were from Minneapolis where I started, or or you know like Norm and Dave Feldman, these guys that I saw their stand up and said, oh, this guy could write here. I could teach him how to write a a, a sitcom script, but he can't teach somebody how to be funny. You know, you could teach the right. mechanics of it. And so they they did, and, and they and they were great, and they're you know they did an amazing job, and they've gone on to to really interesting careers. Now, did your uh, background? Because I know you were on uh, Jimmy Pardo's podcast also, and yeah. uh, that was one of the free ones that's available to people. In a fascinating interview uh, about your growing up in Iowa and coming up and, and getting into comedy and stuff. Um, did that kind of blue collar background just you know? F- uh, it really helped you a lot, or was it uh, the matter of fact that you had to be funny first, and you could, you know, be funny in any situation? Well, the blue collar background. You know, I worked in a factory for three years at, at the meatpacking plant, and, and it, it does help you because you always know what a real job is. I mean, you always know what hard physical work is, and you and uh, you know, you, you one thing that people don't realize about Hollywood is, you know, you can be the most talented, creative person ever, but if you don't do if you don't use some elbow grease, if you don't get up and, and do what you got to do and work and put it on paper or, you know, work, whatever your occupation is, you, you know, if it's acting, you got to show up on time, you got to be prepared, you got to do this, you got to do that. You know, there's a lot of ancillary things you do, you know, with a career. And, and what, you know, it, what it taught me is, you know, you have to get up every day and do something. Nobody's going to make, no agent or manager is going to make my career uh, I have to be the point man on on all of this stuff, and you know that when you work at a meatpacking plant, it's very regimented. You have, you know, you show up at, you get up at five thirty a.m. and you know you're cutting hogs by six thirty, and this is what you do. And it's also a team effort, you know. And you learn to work well, hopefully, with other people. And uh, a lot of this stuff, you, you have to work well with other people. So those things stick with me. You know, there's a lot of I have a lot of appreciation for my life now and what I do now because, you know, so much of my young life was such hard work, you know, physical work. And so, you know, it's good. I also feel I have this thing that, you know, I can't go a long time without working because I don't feel that I, I feel there's something wrong, that there's, that I'm not, and maybe I've worked too much and maybe I've done too many movies and maybe I've done too many 
shows and whatever, but there's something that from that working class mentality where they're like, I'm not worth much if I'm not doing something for my family or doing, you know, getting up and, and doing it. And also, you know, I also have this thing, what I love about stand-up is, you know, you're up there, it's, it's, it is work, it is, it's fun, but you're actually doing something, you actually sweat. I do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and so I've always had this thing that, you know, if you're not sweating at some point during the day, you, are you really doing a real job? And so uh, that all comes back from working at Hormel. Now, it, I, another thing I um, thought was interesting on that interview with Jimmy Pardo is that um, you would still you still eat meat. It, it, a lot of people say, oh, I never work and I never eat uh, hog, but you have absolutely no problem with, uh, with the process. Well, you, you know, it's funny because I think part of that, too, is growing up in Tumwa, Iowa, where everything is farm-related, and, and it's sort of, uh, you know, it's ingrained, it's in your DNA. Um, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, especially since my baby's been born, I, I've taken a different, you know, I'm a little, I'm cautious, I'm very cautious about what my son, you know, hey, my son is almost four months, my first child. I, you're very cautious about what he's, you know, and it, it, oh, yeah. it changes a little bit because you also realize I'm an older father, you know, i got to be around for a while. <laughs> but, yeah, I absolutely eat meat. I absolutely know what's in hot dogs. Uh, I haven't eaten a hot dog for a little bit. But if I was uh, hungry and then they were hot dogs and I was in Cincinnati, I would eat a bunch of hot dogs. I may not <laughs> eat the bun right now because I haven't eaten bread in, in uh, almost four months. And that's helped me lose a lot of weight. But, you know, I know what's in meat. I know... Uh, I know a lot about it. I also know, you know, from farming, I know what's in grain. I know what the GMOs are. I know, you know, how things have changed for farmers and what they produce and what's in the seeds. And that, you know, that concerns my, me about my son, but, uh, but uh, you know, it doesn't concern me as much about me. And, you know, we worship meat if you're from, from Ohio or Iowa. They, oh, yeah. You, know, you, you worship it. And, uh, for, you know, it's, it's a reward. It's, it, you know, you work for it. And, and there's people in L.A. now, they do this raw food diet, which is insane. It's literally <laughs> raw vegetables, like raw. And, 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 and I think it's great to be healthy. It's great. But, you know, you've got to live your life, man. You gotta you gotta enjoy this life, and there's a there's a lot of ways to be creative with food that are that are way beyond raw vegetables. And and again, growing up farming, we're on farms. I, I had a lot of raw vegetables, and uh, I don't want to. That's not living life, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, well, as they say, moderation. Um, and as you also know, uh, Cincinnati's nickname, one of the nicknames of Cincinnati besides the Queen City, is Porkopolis because of uh, the pork packing that went on here in the. Uh, 19th and early 20th century. Well, you know, that's nice, but Iowa's really the port capital <laughs> of the world, so, you know, you could call it, yeah, but that's a great nickname. That's, so, like a, that's, that, that's funny. I love that. Um, so how did you go out from the plant to comedy? I, I don't remember that story exactly. If you could. Well, you know, I'd always dreamed, you know, when I started working at Hormel, I, my grandpa worked at the meatpacking plant for 50 years. Everybody in my town, that was like the best job. My dad worked there for a while. My uncle, you know, this was the job to get because there was actually benefits at that time. You know, and you, 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 it paid well, and, and, you, and you worked there. And, and I remember thinking, you know, I, I looked around one day, and we were, we were slaughtering 5,000 hogs every day, just, a, you know, t- a chain, you know, coming around. And I did various jobs in there, and there's no windows, and it's, it's, you're, you're like, well, this is, I'm in this building, you know, 10 hours a day. This is my life forever, and it's kind of, 
strikes you like, you know, because up to that point, I'd always dreamed of being a comedian or being an actor. You grow up in a small town, you, you watch TV, you watch the movies, you think, boy, I'd love to do that. And in high school, I did, you know, those, those things, those, you know, drama and, and speech and those things. But, you know, it doesn't quite seem possible that it's going to happen. And then uh, one night, and, and then finally I said, I kept having this dream that I was friends with Robin Williams. It was when Mork and Mindy was on, I think. And, and I'd wake up and I'd be in my crummy apartment and it'd be 5.30 a.m. and I'd have to go to the meatpacking plant. And I kept having this dream. And I, I said, I willed myself not to have that dream anymore because it was so depressing to wake up and see this life. And I said, I've got to embrace this life somehow. This is my life. And so... I said, you know, and then I then I said, okay, I'm going to be okay with it. I'm going to try. I'm going to be okay with this thing. Forget my crazy, stupid dreams. And then uh, I went out. We, we they opened up a disco. This is when disco was in in a tunnel, Iowa, called the Jailhouse. And I went out one night after the meatpack club, which we went out every night, by the way, and had drinks. And Andy Kaufman uh, was there. Andy Kaufman was a, a comedian, and he was on Taxi, and he was. You know, he's he's a very legendary in my business by the way he did his comedy. And, and uh, he happened to be in Atoma, Iowa, this thing, and he just wrestled. He was doing his wrestling thing where he went around the country and wrestled women. Oh, yeah. And he wrestled a bunch of women at the Atoma Coliseum. And uh, he took them over to Happy Joe's Pizza. The whole crowd he took and bought them pizza. The whole crowd. Yeah, he used to do that all the time. Yeah. And I thought, my God, if I could be famous and take the whole crowd to get pizza at Happy Joe's, that's a dream. Anyway, so I met him and I talked to him. Because he was uh, doing a transcendental meditation at, uh, at uh, Maharishi International University, which is about 15 miles from my hometown. And I said, wait a minute, if he can get here to Otomo, Iowa from Hollywood, maybe I can get to Hollywood from Otomo, Iowa. So that was in my, my head. What ended up happening is I said, I, I can't, I, I have to do something. So I started going to college at the same time I was working at Hormel. I said, I have a feeling this might change somehow changed my life and so you know i was i was working at night and going to school during the day and that's all i did but you know they have the activities in college where you can you know that are more artistic than than say the meatpacking plant and they have they have contests and they have whatever and and one thing led to another and i ended up at the university of iowa and they had open mic night at the student union and i went up there and, and told all these jokes that i'd stolen from richard Pryor or whatever because <laughs> i didn't know how you did it yeah i just brought all my friends they drank some everclear punch we get it i think this is going to be great i'm going to be on david letterman i'm going to you know and uh and and i was terrible i'm sure but but i but that's that really started it then i moved to minneapolis in 1983 to to do because they had five comedy clubs and i moved up there and, you know, I was doing comedy at night, but I was selling sandwiches during the day or Time Life books or whatever. So that's, you know, that is sort of, things started to happen. By the way, I got fired from Hormel. That's the only reason I'm not working there, you know, for various uh, indiscretions, but <laughs> it, which, which seemed like a horrible, sad thing. And my family was so upset, but, you know, it turns out it was probably the best thing. And so, you know, one thing led to another. And then, you know, up in Minneapolis, I met Roseanne and, she was just starting her comedy, and, you know, I started, uh, after a little bit, writing jokes for her and writing jokes for other people, and that sort of taught me how to be a writer, and, and ended up moving in 1988 to Los Angeles to write on the show. So, you know, it's a series of, of things, but you have to be, unfortunately, and I hope my son is like this, you have to be a little crazy to go into this business, at, at least the way I did it. I think some people are uh, smarter, and they go, okay, I'm going to get an education in this area. 
I'm going to do this, and then, uh, you know, this is the process I'm doing. And there's a lot of happenstance and, and uh, you know, there's it just the serendipity. Uh, things, right place, right time, things happen, and then it's about taking, being able to do it, you know, because everybody talks about getting their break in this business. But what happens if you get your break and you don't know what you're doing? Then oh, you yeah. Don't get, then, you then that's it. So, you know, when you do get that opportunity, you need to be prepared, and that's part of the working man uh, thing that I hopefully ah, have. Okay. So did you ever get to work with Robin Williams? I, I don't recall. I did. I made a movie nine months with Robin Williams. Oh, okay. oh that's and, right. Okay. And it was funny because we were sitting around talking, and it was just like my dream. <laughs> I mean, it was so weird. It was like we were best buddies. In my mind, we were best buddies, but we weren't. But, you know, it's... Uh, it took a long time, but but you know those it, it felt just the same. It felt like oh, I, I deserve to be here. This is uh, comfortable. Cool. And so you know, there's been a a lot of strange moments in my career where people from Arnold Schwarzenegger to all these different people that I, that I admired to Jim Cameron, that these people, and and suddenly I'm working with them, and you feel is sort of this out of body experience. We're like, oh my gosh, this is you know. And then when I had the sports show. These legends of sport oh, yeah. bought the show, and I'd be sitting next to them, like, and you know, because sport really, that's in that's in your DNA too. That's the that's really personal sports because that's something you did with your grandfather and your dad, and you were a kid, and then whatever. So I'm sitting next to these legends, and and I'm you know playing catch with them or you know whatever, and it is crazy because it is just you know, but also it's important and. I, it, you never lose. I'm a fan. I'm a fan of comedians, of actors, of, of sports, of, of athletes. You never. I've never lost that. I'm very grateful for that. I hope my son has that because being a fan is something no one can ever take away from you. You know, you could take you. You could lose your job. You could do this. Whatever. Whatever. You could get divorced. Whatever. But if you're a fan of, of something, man, that is yours, and uh, and no one can no one can take that away from you. That's cool. Um, so you're still friendly with Roseanne, correct? Friendly? Um, well, I saw a tweet a couple of months I mean, ago. You know, I mean, I would be friendly if I saw her. We don't see, we haven't, you know, apart from her roast uh, last summer, we don't uh, yeah. We don't see each other. Uh, but, of course, I would be friendly if I saw her. Well, I saw, she tweeted something a couple months ago, and you responded, and it all seemed kind of, you know, jovial. Well, that was like, last week. <laughs> it like a couple months ago. It was a Twitter thing. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, this is how, you know, and, and, and I, I think that when you're, when you know when you know some, someone for that period of time, and you know when we met, we were starting a comedy, and it was a, you know it was many years ago. We were young. I was in my tw- early I was twenty three, and you know, and spent that time as friends, and then then we got married, and that didn't work out. But you know, there was a long you you have a bit of a shorthand with people. I mean, it's even though we hadn't spoken in eighteen years before last summer's roast of hers. You know, you kind of you pretty quickly get back into a rhythm of, of whatever. And, and uh, so last week I had tweeted something, you know, innocuous about uh, cleaning out the garage. And, and I hope Goodwill likes uh, remote controls and, and phone chargers and my old wedding videos, you know. And uh, the day later she tweeted, an angry tweeted me about throwing away her wedding videos with her kids in them and whatever. And I was obviously joking. Yeah. You know, it started this back and forth, and there were 45 tweets back and forth, you know, publicly, which is uh, unfortunate. But, you know, and, and it reminded me of, uh, of uh, you know, at the end, I, I thought, well, it reminded me of how this could be funny eventually. And it also reminded me of why we were divorced, because they, <laughs> the relationship just 
picked up and got heated pretty quick. So interesting. Yeah. So what are you talking about on stage these days now that you're, uh, you know, uh, I know you have a, a son, you said, and uh, your life's a little uh, different now. Um, does that change your stand-up at all? Well, I try to, obviously, you know, the thing is I can't, uh, you know, I can't do a, a bunch of random jokes because people know who I am and they know something about me. You know, I'm not, uh, you know, anonymous. So I feel I owe it to them to be honest about different things. Obviously, since my son was born, you know, that's changed things a lot because, before I, I had, had material about trying to, trying to get pregnant, trying to this, trying to you know, and so obviously that that changed all that. And I'm gonna you know whatever is going on. I mean I have a uh, you know I pretty uh, I hopefully am pretty honest about the mistakes I made in my life. I, I have a lot of stories about you know obviously everybody tells stories about growing up and this and that and uh, you know and then some stuff from Hollywood that maybe people knew about a version of that but you know that since i was there i have my own you know take on it and uh you know it's uh you know it's it hopefully it's fun and hopefully it's a uh, selfie facing and uh and uh you know and hopefully everybody has a good time that's what uh yeah well i, th- I think you will i think you have a, a great time at the fest is, is stand-up something you still get to do a lot of out in california i think you seem really busy and i know that's when yeah. a guy gets well busy. you know you could go there's a million clubs here so i can go out yeah. any night and go on stage and get you know, stage time. So, and that helps a lot. Um, but, but to go on the road, I got to be very, very specific. I said I'd go in August and uh, maybe do a few shows in the fall. And, uh, you know, like t- today, yesterday I, I finished up this uh, Christmas movie. Today I'm, I've got to go now because I'm shooting a, a sitcom and then I'm going to Charlotte and then I'm going to shoot a movie in New Orleans before I come to uh, Cincinnati. And so, it's a, you know, it's a series of, you know, scheduling, pretty crazy scheduling. And I took three months off and my son was born, so now I'm, you know, but, but I guess I wouldn't want it any other way. I want the opportunity to do all these different things, and sometimes you, you they back right up on each other, and, and you got to do it. But I have to go down to Col- Culver City right now and shoot this show. Okay. So well, I really appreciate talking to you, and good luck with everything. All right, thanks, man. I'll let you go. Right. Thanks for doing this. All right, bye-bye. Thanks again to Tom Arnold for being on the show. Again, you can catch Tom Arnold at the Cincy Brouhaha Comedy Festival Friday, August 23rd. On Saturday, August 24th, Reno Collier is the headline. And in between those guys, you'll see all kinds of great comedians. Uh, last year, I performed. I don't know if they're desperate enough this year, though. Hopefully, they've got enough great comedians. They won't have to ask me. <laughs> Hopefully, they will. Uh, I'm of two minds on that. Anyway, that's August 23rd and 24th in Cincinnati, right there on the riverfront where we saw the Bunbury Music Festival. It's a great time. If you want to even travel, take a couple-hour drive down here to Cincinnati or up to Cincinnati, whichever direction it is, uh, highly recommended. I think you'll enjoy it. All right, PS Tape Recorder logo designed by Dan Coble, of course. Dan and Logan's podcast, Magic Potion, uh, should be coming back any day now, possibly with a review of the new uh, Chromecast gizmo that Google has come up with. So we'll keep you posted on that. Uh, original music for PS Tape Recorder was composed by John Varopoulos, with a little help from me. Performed by John Varopoulos and Doug O'Connor, with a little help from me me. Don't forget to like PS Tape Recorder on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter at PF66. And I believe that is all the business we have at hand for this week, other than to say so long and thanks for listening.